I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, there's new hope that police in San Francisco may solve one of the city's most mysterious serial killer cases. No, not the Zodiac. It's the Doodler, who brutally killed at least five men in 1974 and 75 after luring the victims to out-of-the-way beaches and trails on the city's western edge. On Thursday, police will announce they're doubling the reward in that case to $200,000. They're doing so because they feel they're closer than ever to catching the killer, who earned his nickname because he would sketch portraits or doodles of his victims. They're also intrigued by their latest breakthrough, the identification of a possible sixth victim. If this all sounds familiar to you, you might know about the true crime podcast The Chronicle made last year. It's called The Doodler. We made it in partnership with Ugly Duckling Films and Neon Hum Media, and you can listen to it wherever you get Fifth and Mission. My guest today is that podcast narrator and main reporter, Kevin Fagan. His reporting is partly responsible for this breakthrough. He spent months investigating the Doodler case and inching closer, hopefully, to a solution. He also wrote about it for The Chronicle. It's at sfchronicle.com slash doodler. And Kevin's here today. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Kevin, it's been 45 years. I know that it's it's getting so long since these killings happened that we wonder if the suspect might still be alive. You believe he may still be alive. But why, after all this time, are the police announcing a raise in the reward? Well, they've had some good advances in this thing. Uh, investigator Dan Cunningham in the cold case unit brought this thing out of a back shelf several years ago, uh, then called me a couple of years ago, and he's done his digging, and I did my digging with my partner, Mike Taylor, one of our former Chronicle colleagues, who's a private eye now. And Mike and I scraped up a whole mountain of new stuff. Uh, the possible, well, probable identity of a psychiatrist who interviewed the main suspect back then. And we uh, dug up stuff on this sixth victim named Warren Andrews, who was a uh, bird watcher and a lawyer. Uh, killed at Land's Inn, just below the USS San Francisco uh, Memorial uh, on the water's edge. And we started looking into every possible murder we could that could be linked to the doodler. And this guy kept coming up again and again and again. There were too many similarities. So we talked about it with the investigators and, and Dan Cunningham, who's dogged, as we say. <laughs> He's a terrific uh, cop. Uh, he dug hard, hard, hard. And we found relatives of, of the guy, it all seemed to fit. And so uh, they're announcing they're adding this guy to the list of probable victims of the doodler. All right. So if he's the sixth victim, what are the things that make it perhaps different from the other five? And what are the similarities that is making him convinced that perhaps this is another victim? Well, he was killed not far from the fifth victim, Harold Goldberg, on Land's End, around the same time, within a few weeks of the killing, in some bushes, alongside water. Uh, all these things were doodler hallmarks, and it was a rage killing. The theory is, and the investigators believe this is probably the case, and so do I. I went out to the crime scene with the investigators, actually. He got into a struggle with the doodler. The doodler usually surprised his victims by stabbing them, probably first in the back, then flipping them over and finishing them off, stabbing sometimes dozens of times. Well, he started on this guy. The guy got up and fought him. They were on a cliffside. The knife probably went tumbling off the cliff into the water. And so the doodler picked up the nearest weapons he could get his hands on, which were a tree branch and a rock. And he essentially caved uh, this poor man's head in, left him for dead. 
And he died later, but that makes it a homicide because he, he injured him so badly that he died of those injuries. The trouble is that this was first listed as an assault, and it sat there for a long time as an assault, finally turned into a homicide. The relatives got a call uh, at some point. This is back in the 70s. But there wasn't much to go on. There were a lot of homicides at the time. It wound up on the back shelf. Well, Cunningham pulled it off the back shelf, and now it's one of the Doodler victims. All right, let's stop for a second. I want to play a clip from the Doodler series. This is Kevin and investigator Cunningham visiting the murder site of Warren Andrews. The Andrews murder happened around the same time as the Goldberg murder, too. We see a pattern, you know, in the first five where there's injuries, the upper torso over the front and the back, yeah. knife wounds. This individual, blunt trauma to the head. Well, this was, those other but, ones were rage killings. And this, right. this one, the guy took a tree branch to him and a rock. Right. It sounds like he was pretty damn uh, 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 dedicated, right. uh, angry. So, so it's, it's possible. you got to think to yourself, well, you know what? This time period, these other ones were going on very close in proximity and, and time to the other ones. Um, it's very possible. Maybe, maybe he had a knife, and for whatever reason, he dropped it or there was a struggle, and maybe somebody interfered with it, you know, or he hurt somebody when he was about to take his knife and, and fled. We don't know, but just because the fact of the location, the time period, some of the, you know, the, the victimology... Makes me think that it might be connected, and I'm not going to say it is for sure, but I'd be a fool to say that it wasn't. Kevin, one amazing thing about your look into the Doodler case is reconnecting with people who remember these terrible killings. This was a case that didn't get as much press, obviously, as cases like the Zodiac, but it was a pretty big deal, and you've managed to track down people who were scarred by this. What about Warren Andrews? Did he have family that's still out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had a sister uh, named Nancy Lubke, uh, who's now 85 years old. And Mike tracked her down. She was hard to find. You know, people aren't listed as completely as they used to be, especially when nearly 50 years goes by. And uh, I talked to her this week, and she said uh, that she had been frustrated for years and years. She just figured everyone forgot this thing. Uh, she she had was the one who flew her brother up to near Seattle, where they lived and had grown up. And he sat around in a, or lay around in a hospital for weeks and then finally died. And she still carries that pain, you can tell. She said that when Mike called her, uh, she had a couple of sleepless nights reliving this thing. Uh, and this was just, you know, last year when, when we got a hold of her. And she's wondered, all right, what's next? What's next? Cunningham got a hold of her. He dug some more stuff up. He found some new evidence uh, recently in the Andrews case, and he's going to have it DNA tested. Uh, it gives her hope. But as I, I said in a story that I wrote that's running today, you know, she don't want to get her hopes up too much. But, you know, when something that awful happens to a person, they hang on to whatever kind of shred they can. And I think it does give her a little bit of comfort to know that someone's paying attention to what happened to her brother. Because her brother sounded like a great guy, and she, of course, loved him very much. Kevin, we know that people don't forget these cases. Everyone from the victims, the police, reporters, uh, the public, very interested in solving these things. But lately, we've seen a lot of these cases be solved, and people have been solving them with these genealogical databases where people put their family tree in, they put their DNA in, and you can finally run it against these old cases. Why is that not happening in this case? Well, there's not much DNA to be had. That's the trouble. It was uh, This happened nearly 50 years ago. It involved gay victims, 
At a time when sodomy laws were still on the books, police were still busting guys for having sex in bathrooms and outdoors and even cross-dressing for that matter. Uh, so it didn't get a lot of attention. And I, I do believe the homicide unit did put their shoulder to this thing, but the way that evidence was stored back then wasn't, you know, really uh, in, a, in a fashion that would lend to making good DNA use later on. DNA wasn't even a, an expression back then. It wasn't known as a thing. And the other thing is that a lot of the evidence that was pulled in, you know, clothing primarily and, and uh, uh, bits from the murder scenes, was soaked with blood. Great DNA, but it was victim blood. So, you know, Cunningham has been scraping for whatever he can find in this giant warehouse they have of evidence where things, you know, get misplaced over 50 years. Like, I can kind of understand how that can happen. But uh, he's found some new stuff that looks promising. And there's some new paper trails that Mike and I have found uh, that are promising. There's some tips that came in, very promising. And the cold case unit is looking into all this stuff. And it gave investigators just enough hope that, you know, with a few more shreds, a few more tips, a few more solid bits, they can make a case. All right, Kevin, I want to jump back and talk even more about what we know about the doodler, what we know about suspects, whether that person might be out there and perhaps listening to this podcast. But first, let's take a break on Fifth Admission. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Admission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan. We're talking about the Doodler. That's the notorious serial killer in San Francisco. Mid-70s, the case has still not been solved. But before we get back to Kevin, here's a piece of that Doodler podcast. We're talking about the first victim, Gerald Cavanaugh, and where this all begins. This emergency call was made on the night of January 27th, 1974. Forty-seven years later, I'm standing on Ocean Beach, at the spot where that body was found. And we're standing here at 48th and uh, Yaloa. It would have been right across from where we are. With me is Dan Cunningham, an investigator with the SFPD. At some point, when the police got there, the tide was rising, and his body was getting hit by the, the tide. To police in the 70s, right away it was clear that this was a murder victim. The San Francisco Examiner identified him two days later, towards the back, on page 42. Here's Dan Cunningham. Gerald Cavanaugh, who was a, a Canadian man, uh, 49, 50 years old. The paper said that Gerald Cavanaugh was a furniture finisher. Whoever killed him had stabbed him 17 times in the chest, the back, and the stomach. 17 times. The article didn't include much other information. In fact, it was soliciting leads. Police provided a phone number for readers to call. Kevin, take us back to 1974. How does the doodler start killing people? How does he even get his name? 
Well, this was a guy who was, you know, early 20s, maybe even 19 or so. And he would go to gay bars. And there were many of them back there in the uh, early 1970s. And he'd pick a mark. He'd, he'd sit somewhere with a cocktail napkin and a, and a pen. And he would find someone that he thought looked doable as a victim. And he'd sketch them. And he was evidently a pretty good artist. He'd walk up to the guy, he'd say, hey, like my doodle? And chat him up. And if the guy said yes, and they'd, uh, you know, kind of hit it off, he'd say, hey, come on, let's go outside. Let's, let's head off. Let's, let's essentially go hook up and have sex. So off they'd go. And back then in the 70s, when sodomy laws were still in the books, you kind of had to go to bushes, the beachside, you know, the windmill was a popular thing, sometimes bathrooms. So they'd go to one of those spots, and the doodler would, they'd definitely start having sex, and the doodler pull out a knife and then stab him. You'd stab him several, many times, ragefully. These were rage killings, as they called it. And, you know, since the guy was never caught, it's hard to tell exactly what motivated him. But the investigators at the time figured he was wrestling with his own sense of sexuality and was probably closeted gay and had great conflict about that. And of course, had you know, some mental problems because most people don't turn that kind of conflict into a murderous frenzy. And he did this over and over in San Francisco, in the gay bars. Some people thought there were as many as 17 victims back then. They could confirm five. And now they've all but confirmed six because, you know, until it's done, it's, it's, you know, not really done. And time went by, three victims wound up living in the the mid late 70s and uh they managed to generate a sketch sketch went out a psychiatrist and his staff saw it over in the east band said that's our guy and evidently one of the psychiatrist patients confessed in some fashion to being the doodler so uh, rotea guilford and earl sanders launch over there they're famous homicide detectives at the time first black homicide detectives in san francisco they make what they think is a pretty good case on this guy, but they can't nail it in. They can't get a witness. They can't get a confession. They don't have evidence with fingerprints or the kinds of things that could, uh, you know, nail something down back then. So it sat. And the guy who they were looking at back then uh, can no longer be called a suspect because it's not solid enough. He is a person of interest. And Dan Cunningham, the investigator on the case, cold case now, has interviewed that guy. And uh, he's still got interest, as they say. Uh, and if they can link anything to him, they can make a case. Now, if they link anything to anyone else that they can make a case on, they'll go there too. But Cunningham and the, the cold case crew do feel like they're pulling together enough shreds so they're getting closer. And by upping a reward to $200,000 and adding a sixth person, which may generate clues from people who knew Warren Andrews, you're increasing your chances of getting a solid tip. So you're saying this person, this person of interest, is alive, lives in the Bay Area. Yes. Not identified, but is out there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the police department's pretty careful about that. They're they're not going to put a person of interest's name out there because then, you know, people go banging on the door. And what if the guy's not guilty? Uh, you've just, you know, harassed a person who, who uh, you know, isn't going to be arrested. So it's all, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some tension points in this thing. Uh, things that you can't say, things you can say, things you can do and you can't. 
this, this kind of investigation goes slow. But everyone's waited almost 50 years already, so, you know, what's a little while more? All right, so 1974, 1975, there's a string of killings. Kevin, why would someone stop killing, or did they? The theory is that he stopped killing here. However, the theory is also that uh, the doodler got kind of, you know, spooked by uh, Sanders and Guilford closing in on him, and he took off for a trip uh, to the south and to the east. Well, there are killings similar to the doodler in the south and the east, and I actually got a couple of tips on some uh, very similar uh, slayings that sound like they involve the doodler, and police are looking into that. They also got their own tips through a, a, a crime database, and they're looking into those. You got to sort out the fingerprints. There's DNA. There's blood splotches. This stuff all has to be carefully vetted to bring a solid case forward. But the theory is that he did continue to kill. And there are people still afraid of the doodler. They're still afraid of him. What do you mean? Well, I went to the, uh, well, first off, the victim survivors, the relatives that I talked to, many of them said, no, don't name me. That's all I need is that guy coming after me now, you know, all these years later. And I also went to the Cinch Saloon, which is in the uh, Polk Gulch, which used to be the main uh, strip for gay bars and cabarets and shows. It was, it was a heck of a scene back then. There were dozens of gay bars all over the place with performers and drag queens and, and uh, you know, great place to go meet people. Well, this Cinch Saloon is the one that's left from that era in that place, which is where the doodler hunted most. And when I talked to some of the guys there who were older from that era, they were still afraid. One of them said he had actually moved out of the area not so long ago because he was afraid of the doodler. And I said, Are you, do you think the guy's going to come in the bar here? Yeah, he might. It, you can't imagine the terror that this killing spree sent through the gay community back in the mid-70s. Because there was a feeling that you're an ostracized minority in society. You know, who cares uh, while we're being killed, while we're being harassed, beaten, shouted at, uh, bullied? It, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a terrible time. And it was a great time of gay liberation too. But to have this serial killer knifing people to death and you can't find him uh, was just a horror. And that, that resonates today. Kevin, in a serial killer investigation like this, a long ago case, a cold case, do the police feel like they're in a race against the possible death of the suspect? Absolutely. I mean, if, if, if that killer is still alive, he's got to be in his 70s, which, you know, isn't that old, but okay, you got another 10 years of viability, probably. By the time this uh, person is in his 90s, you're really running out of time. It's, it's like when you and I used to do stories on the 1906 earthquake survivors. Year after year, their numbers got smaller. Now there's none. It's, it's going to get to that point at some, at some time. Yeah, who you can deliver justice to. Yes. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks, Damien. A reminder that you can find Kevin's eight-episode series on The Doodler wherever you get your podcasts or at sfchronicle.com slash doodler. That podcast was produced by The Chronicle in partnership with Ugly Duckling Films and Neon Hum Media. Thanks to my guest today, Kevin Fagan, a Chronicle staff writer, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>